hope, resurrection in the face of death. If I can just vent a bit here. The question is, what is right in the sight of God? Which is essential to being a human. Welcome along to this week's new exciting edition of Irreverent with me, Jamie Franklin, and my good friend and colleague, sort of, TJ Pelham. How are you doing, TJ, today? Very well. I had a lovely walk this morning uh, in the New Forest, um, which is a beautiful part of the world if you've never been there. Um, really lovely. Uh, the bracken turns this wonderful colour of red uh, and... Um, the whole forest looks this beautiful sort of autumnal um i don't, I don't know jimmy i i got this feeling that um that i can't quite describe it's not deja vu and it's not a memory but it's sort of a um a sort of sense of uh expectation there for some reason not sure why who knows um, wow maybe it was the holy spirit speaking to you through nature i don't know if you believe in these kind of things uh, i'm a bit of a bathian so not really um <laughs> Uh, you've, you've muted yourself, Jamie. I can't hear you at all. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm off mute now. Sorry about that. I was just drinking a sip of my coffee. I just said I just said um, I made a disparaging um, remark about uh, being a Bartian, uh, and then I was going to go on to something equally witty, but I've actually forgotten what it is. Uh, Tom, I was going to ask you actually. Did you uh, did you hear the the new the new uh, rocking theme tune from last week? Have you have you sampled uh, it yet? I'm not sure I have, Jamie. I'm no. sorry. I'm very poor at doing these sort of things. I, I sort of just trust you to um, to get on with uh, the uh, that sort of side of things and trust your taste and discretion. Oh um, well, no, I mean that's that's uh, that's clearly a very wise thing to do. But I was just I was just wondering because I haven't had any feedback on it yet so far. Uh, I personally <laughs> okay. like it. I personally like it a lot. So I'm going to take that as a as a as a vote of confidence that the new the new theme tune is is working. It's got, you know, I'll, it's I'll kind go of, and have a listen. Yeah, yeah, you have a listen. I mean, I've, I've, I've cut some audio clips from the show into the theme tune at the beginning, and then it sort of rises to a climax and then, and then drops with this, this fairly heavy beat. Uh, you're, you're in it saying some, some good things about the church. So anyway, um, anyway do, you, know, you, you can provide some feedback to them, or indeed any of our listeners can write into us on that or any other topic at irreverendpod at gmail.com, which is our email address, irreverendpod at gmail.com. Or uh, you can follow us on Twitter and message us uh, privately or um, in, uh, in a non-private way uh, in, uh, using that as well. So we've got all sorts of different ways to, uh, for people to contact us. And just to begin with, Tom, I wanted to pick up on something from last week. This is a piece of um, correspondence we've had from a listener. Uh, you remember, Tom, we were talking about the NHS, right? And um, the, the difficulties that uh, people have been having getting cancer screenings and other types of treatment and the, the negative effects that that has been um, having um, on people. And I was, I was going on record to say that people are, people are dying because of the NHS's inefficiency and its inability to uh, provide this this service at this time. Um, this person has written that, um, this person agrees with this in part, but this problem is also because of the terrible restrictions that the NHS are currently laboring under. So this person knows somebody who's going to a cancer center every week for chemo. Um, this person is in remission, so it's, it's not something to worry about, fortunately. Uh, and they see the, what the NHS staff have to do 
for instance, this patient had to go to an ENT consultant somewhere a few weeks ago, ear, nose, throat consultant, and the consultant told them that he used he used to see in pre pre COVID times two hundred and fifty patients a day. Now he can see only eighty because of having to deep clean the room, limit people in the waiting room, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so this person writes that this person got the impression that they were finding it incredibly frustrating. So one can partially blame the NHS or perhaps Public Health in England, but it's also the 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 uh, restrictions. Uh, that they have to to work with so his his um, efficiency is basically uh, reduced uh, by about a factor of three there isn't it because he used to see 250 patients a day now he can only see 80 patients a day so it gives you some idea of of the difficulty um, that doctors are laboring under and again Tom I think we want to emphasize don't we from last week that we weren't criticizing doctors and nurses um, at all in fact we feel very sorry for them in the current situation it's the it's the restrictions and the, the policies which are driving the NHS's response that we are criticising, and, and as such, we're criticising the institution of the NHS, um, which, as the writer says, is, is very much associated with, with public health England and, of course, with the, um, the health minister and the, uh, the head of the NHS, um, Simon Stevens, as well. So uh, thanks so much for that piece of feedback. I think that's, um, that's, really, that's really helpful. And once again, we, you know, a reminder of why we need to pray for all doctors and nurses who are labouring under these restrictions, which must make their job so much more difficult and less enjoyable. Um, any comment on that, Tom, or should we, should we move on to this, this next piece of feedback? I think we can move on. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a question, really. Uh, I mean, the whole thing, you might say, well, it's quite reasonable they have to clean the room um, because of the COVID risk. But of course, the risk to a lot of these people is, is not from COVID, it's from the... Um, cancers that they have uh, and you know um, getting them seen um, is probably more important to them than the room being clean not least because as far as I understand it very little COVID sort of on surfaces actually transmits um, of course there's the famous study which showed that it persisted for three days um, that a lot of our um, kind of uh, regulations in the church are based on but uh, another study came out to, that wasn't able to replicate those results and basically said that they'd used um, extremely large uh, initial sort of um, samples of COVID uh, and then tested you know going forward which would um, which which was incredibly um, unlike actual use uh, and um, this uh, therefore sort of swayed the study into into more pessimistic ways than actual real life. Uh, one study, I think it's Henry Streeck, the German uh, uh, scientist, has said that uh, unless someone literally coughed on something and then you literally touched it immediately as a COVID positive person and immediately transferred it into you, uh, into your mucous membranes, there'd be very little chance of um, catching anything from objects. So, you know, there's a question of where, what, you know, What's a sensible level of risk reward for, for people? I think it's not being uh, not being seen anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if Tom, you could supply if you if you have a link to that, that'd be good to put on the show notes because I, I hadn't heard of that. I'd be very interested to see that uh, that study that you you talk about. Um, yeah, so we've got an interesting question here um, from from somebody who's who's written in, and the question is. Um, how does the rhetorical life versus choice binary, which so effectively splits the abortion issue, play out over lockdown? Uh, he continues, it strikes me that the logic 
which takes people to one place on abortion would lead them to be way more suspicious over lockdown or vice versa. So I suppose the, the question there, which is a, it's an extremely perceptive and interesting question, is when we think about the, the debate over abortion, people who are, broadly speaking, pro-abortion often use the, you know, the sort of my body, my choice uh, rhetoric. You know, it's my body, I should be able to do what, it, what I want with it, regardless of, of, who it, of who it damages. Now, obviously, when we're talking about abortion, I'm primarily thinking about the child uh, inside the, the, the womb, who is, uh, which is destroyed uh, in an abortion. But of course, um, I think there's a very strong um, socialist or perhaps you might even say left wing case against abortion as well, which would be to say that abortion doesn't just damage the child, although it does, but it also damages the people around as well. You know, the, the father of the child, for example, and the relatives of, of the child um, more broadly. The, the questioner is saying, if, if one adopts that position on abortion, the, the my body, my choice position, why is it that so many people, particularly it seems on the left, are pro-lockdown? Because the same logic should, one thinks, apply to the lockdown. Well, it's my body. You know, if I'm a young person, for example, and I'm healthy, um, and, and I'm not at risk from the coronavirus, why should I have to be locked in my house? Why should I lose my job? Why should I lose my business, etc.? cetera? Um, why, does it, why doesn't it map over? And there is a flip side to this as well, which we'll get to, but why doesn't it map over from the abortion question to the lockdown issue? Pardon me. Tom, any, any thoughts on that? It's a good question, isn't it? Well, I think there's all sorts of... Um consistency problems across um, uh, the lockdown and uh, the, you know um, that certainly does seem to be following the same lines I guess um, they might say that the um, the risk to the wider public in coronavirus is greater than the risk uh, in um, an abortion whether that's true or not um, but of course uh, the lockdown um, adherence will sort of not allow for any other risk other than covid on the wider public and don't see um don't see the risk of um locking down as sort of uh, a valid uh, problem um yeah so that's that's quite interesting tom isn't it because i suppose on on the one hand the the pro abortion um argument tends to downplay the damage that abortion is actually doing um obviously most notably by by um, relegating, if you like, the ontological status of the child and, and calling the child, you know, a cluster of, of cells or whatever and refusing to accept that it is indeed a child in the womb. So, so they're saying, well, actually, it's fine because although it is my body, it's my choice, I'm not actually harming anyone else through, through doing it. And, and uh, actually, if I weren't allowed to have an abortion, that would harm me. Um, similarly, with the lockdown, I suppose what people who support the lockdown are inclined to do, let's say, is is to is to um, sideline the effects of the lockdown, right? So you know they don't they don't emphasise like you know like the government clearly are doing. They don't emphasise the the terrible damage that lockdown is doing to so many thousands of people, um, because it would undermine their argument. I mean, so the to be fair to this question, there is a flip side, and it's it's um, it's acknowledged in the question as well, which would be which would work like this, I suppose. Um, if you are against abortion 
you tend to be against abortion because you believe that it is the uh, the taking of life that it's the taking of an unborn child's life um i believe this um that is it's 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 wrong to uh, just you know it's wrong to kill children just in a in a in a straightforward sense and abortion is is the killing of a, of a of a child of an innocent unborn um defenseless child and so what we want to say with with as much compassion as as possible to uh, women who are in who are in a position where they have a, a pregnancy that they don't want is um, please don't do that. You know that that's a terrible thing to do, and the situation um, the situation that you're in is not going to be ameliorated by that action. You have to think about not just what you want immediately in this moment, but the 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 life that you're carrying inside of you. And so you'll push what what the what the anti-abortion person is is saying really is pushing. Uh, for for an altruism you've got to think about the child right you can't just you can't just um you can't just destroy a child just you know it's just not the right thing to do and then when you go over to the lockdown therefore i suppose the the point is is that if you want to advocate for an altruism when you're talking about abortion why why do you not advocate for an altruism when you're talking about lockdown in a similar way which would be you know um okay well it might be all right for you uh, Tom or, or Jamie, you know, you're young, healthy, you're not a risk from the coronavirus, but, um, you, you know, you might end up giving the coronavirus to somebody who is, um, who is unwell uh, or who is vulnerable um, if there were no lockdown, if there were none of these measures. So there's a kind of, you know, there's a, there's, there's a, it's a very perceptive question, as I said, there's, this, there's an attempt to kind of ask why people like you and I, Tom, don't, ostensibly on the surface of it have that altruistic attitude towards um the lockdown i think i think jamie that there's uh, there's, a, there's an awful lot in there that needs comment and teasing apart um one of them is that in general the the person who is responsible for sort of um disease control is the person themselves so if you have um uh, a condition that you know is likely to make you vulnerable to the flu um say you're having chemotherapy or something, then you will be very careful. Uh, and you'll ask people to be careful around you. But, um, you know, we, we, the whole point about the Great Barrington Declaration wasn't that we don't help and protect people. It was that uh, this becomes a targeted uh, protection that um, that was encouraged and funded and, uh, you know, respected. Um, the uh, I mean, there's not much evidence that... Um, of that sort of, hang, you know, Matt Hancock said, "Don't don't go out to the pub; you're going to kill your gran." Um, there's not that much evidence that that's 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 sort of uh, a direct causality is, is happening. Um, and the other problem, of course, is that um, actually, if we all stopped working in order to stop every disease, uh, we would all die in poverty pretty quickly. Um, and one thing the lockdowns do is is it moves uh, the burden of the disease from uh, those who are richer and wealthier, um, the middle class who can work from home, uh, onto those who are generally less uh, rich and um, less healthy, um, the, the, the sort of what you might call uh, the working class. Um, in the absence of a vaccine, uh, you reduce um, the, you know, people who can't um, work from home, people who have to go in to a factory, to an avatar, to um, 
to a building site, they become uh, vectors. Um, but they are also generally the lower paid and therefore the least healthy, so, so coronavirus hits them harder. So um, that's another argument against lockdown, which basically says that by removing healthy rich people from the pool of people who could potentially get it, you concentrate you know, the, the burden for herd immunity on those who are going to have higher death rates. And of course, the final answer really is that um, uh, what about the, um, you know, the, the, the wider aspects of lockdown, the fact that um, the economic collapse across the country and across the world is going to drive poverty, has stopped uh, other vaccinations. Has, um, you know, the World uh, Bank, uh, we spoke about this a number of weeks ago, but said 150 million extra people into poverty, uh, into extreme poverty, um, because of the lockdown. And, um, and it's... Uh, and you know there's a moral cost there as well so it's not quite so simple as uh, as, as you know um as, all, as just sort of a single point is it um yeah. i think is what i would say yeah, yeah absolutely and i think uh, i mean i've i put it the way i did because i'm trying to be fair to the to the to the question which i think is a question um definitely worth asking and answering but the fact is is that i would i wouldn't at all say that my position on this or yours is is not altruistic um it is altruistic and it's more altruistic than the lockdown position uh, I believe that the lockdown is hugely damaging and we've, we've gone to great lengths to, to catalogue this over our episodes. This is, this is damaging in a way which is out of proportion by a factor of dozens or hundreds compared to, um, compared to the, the, the threat that uh, the coronavirus uh, seems to uh, pose. We're talking about uh, thousands of, well, you know, we're just rehearsing the same stuff over again, but over and over again, but tens, hundreds of thousands of people dying uh, because of the uh, shutdown of healthcare, massive unemployment, huge economic devastation, possible authoritarian um, governmental uh, takeover of, of Western civilization. I mean, this is, this stuff is not, this stuff is not fictional. We're doing this in order to combat a virus, which arguably can't even be combated. Um, certainly not in the way ways that are that are being forced on us. So basically, you know, that's I mean, my my uh, answer to the to the um, to the question, the putative implication of the question is that um, that there is no there's no sense in which we're saying, uh, yeah, all the all the healthy, strong people should be allowed to live and all the, the weak old people should just should just be uh, sacrificed. That's that's completely not what we're saying at all. Uh, what we're saying is that it's a massively disproportionate uh, response and it's, it's everybody is going to be worse off as a result of this. Everybody, including people who are vulnerable to the, to the coronavirus. Uh, but yeah, so thanks, thanks very much for that, um, that question. I think that's, that's uh, really good. And I, I, I think it's important to, to think, think th through things and to try and be as consistent as possible. And of course, we're, we're open to any, any feedback or, or pushback on any of that stuff. Um, Tom, should we talk about uh, just briefly because we're going to do a big we're going to do a big section today on on um, on a particular theme. But let's let's talk briefly about uh, what's been happening in the news this week because there have been some announcements. And uh, for our re weekly Christmas watch section, it does indeed seem that there is going to be some kind of Christmas, which is which is wonderful uh, that the government are allowing Christmas to happen. I suspect it would have happened anyway. But Tom, do you want to give us an update on any, um, any main uh, headlines this week? Have you been watching any of the stuff that's been going on? Well, I've got a bit of a hero of the week in, in Sir Charles Walker, the Tory MP, who um, uh, on walking to Parliament um, was uh, flabbergasted to find the police uh, around Parliament um, 
bundling an elderly woman into the back of a police van, face down, uh, four of them, one on each limb. Goodness gracious uh, me. And uh, berated them there and then, and then went into Parliament, and full of righteous fury, gave a, um, a speech um, demanding, and I'm not sure quite what the outcome of this was, demanding that the Prime Minister or the, or the Home Secretary be called to Parliament to uh, explain themselves, saying that, um, uh, saying that you know, this is, this is an elderly woman um, who has the courage to stand up to uh, protest against um, the removal of her long-standing rights. Yeah. Uh, and of course, um, currently uh, protesting uh, is illegal if you're doing it with more than one other person, um, <laughs> uh, which um, we can only uh, assume uh, is because the government are, are afraid of protests because frankly much bigger protests than that <laughs> happened in uh, the Black Lives Matters and various other protests of the spring. Yeah. And, and, and indeed Tom, in, uh, people have pointed out if you go to Covent Garden and you watch the buskers there, there are, there are sometimes uh, hundreds of people gathering to watch a single busker and they're never dispersed either. So sorry to interrupt, no. but that's yeah, no, quite. relevant um, as well. And there's, no, there's no evidence in other words that this is, this is a actual disease um, reduction uh, sort of uh, um, uh, idea, but rather that it's it's simply because the government don't like being protested at, which um, I'm sure they don't. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they don't. All the more reason to do it. Um, it's it's outrageous. Um, and um, he he gave a cracking speech. Uh, it's on uh, YouTube. I'm sure I can yeah, find we'll a link put for it, it. Put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. So that, that was that was heartening to see. Um, he, of course, has been a, a staunch lockdown sceptic. I, I sent him an email saying, good on you. Yeah. Um, but he probably won't get it because I imagine he's very busy with uh, correspondence in general. Uh, he's not my MP. Well, I'm um, sure he'll, he'll still read it, Tom. I hope so. He, he hope should so. do anyway. Sorry, ca and, carry on. Uh, so that, that's one thing. Um, and uh, the uh, what else has been in the news? Well, this this Christmas. Yes, Christmas watch. We're allowed to meet with... Uh, it's been leaked, I believe. Uh, hasn't it been confirmed? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a bubbles of three families. Yeah. Um, now sort of, uh, I, you know, it, it's nice that the government uh, can do this, I guess. Um, I, I'm sceptical uh, because, um, as I think you say, I think they're probably doing it because they know it would have happened anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's, uh, it's unenforceable, isn't it, Tom? If, but complete... By the time you've said this, you know, people will just do whatever they want because, you know, a family could have two cars, there could be eight people, there could be 10, 12 people in a single family, couldn't there? So, it could easily be 20, Jamie, yeah. by, um, you know, uh, three families of seven. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's not like the police are going to be going around, you know, asking people for proof of address on, on Christmas Day. So well, it's completely unenforceable. And, and it gets even more complicated than that, doesn't it? Because, you know, if you're in a bubble, you count as one family, as far as I can tell. Um, Right. So, in as much as you know, so uh, um, you have to have a degree uh, yeah. in, in in you know uh, statistical analytics and mathematics in order to understand this stuff. But you know, it just comes down to um, the government need to stop trying to micromanage this and start trusting the people, um, and and that's what Boris said he was going to do, uh, and he lost it. Um, you know, and it's a bit like. Um, the first lockdown was preceded by a man, by a, you know, he, he said, can you please stay at home? Can you please um, yeah. work from home if possible? And it looks, I mean, you know, and it's likely that that was enough to bring the cases down in, uh, in March. Um, and, you know, I don't think we would be here, Jamie, if, if the government had stayed with that sort of idea. Yeah, because absolutely. you can't, 
you really can't complain. Um, the government saying, please um, do this, right? You know, and um, you know, and people who say, oh well, you know, we wouldn't obey. Uh, well, we don't really know that, do we? Um, I, you know, well, the Swedes the, the obeyed. Was, the Swedes have obeyed. The Swedes have obeyed. Um, although they're not in, yeah. Um, the Swedes have, obeyed, but also the, um, the the government was shocked at the level of compliance that they actually found to the yeah. lockdown. They were anticipating yeah. a much lower level of compliance than we gave them. They never bothered to trust us, and, and in doing so, they've um, destroyed our um, our human rights, our rights to religion, our rights to freedom of association. Um, of protest, of um, speech, yeah. um, to a degree, um, because if you can't give speech in certain places, you may as well not have freedom of speech. Um, yeah. And also, um, and, and you know, these things they don't mean anything unless they mean something through hard times as well as yeah. good times. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Tom. I think the the moment the government made that decision to enforce the lockdown uh, through the police and and the law, that was you know that was a policy which which would inevitably result in this this absurdity this absolute absurdity we're living with at the moment where the government are purporting to tell us specifically who and how many people we can um associate with and you know it's it, as you say it's it's apt to be misused uh, the old dictum which was quoted by uh, george orwell i don't think it originates with him all power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely and that's what's that's what's going on at the moment they have the power they have they have taken the power they've arrogated the power to themselves and that power corrupts because people don't want to give up power there's an intoxicating effect which power has and they you know the the protesting thing is a very good example of this particular types of protest not all protest particular types of protests, namely anti-lockdown protests, have been uh, clamped down on very hard because they don't like their new powers being and, challenged. Karen. And, 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 you, do you know what, Jamie, you say, you know, it's very hard to give up these. We, we've heard from Matt Hancock just yesterday when he started talking, saying that, you know, he's going to start using tra track and trace on uh, flu cases and, you know, start treating flu in the same way to treat <laughs> coronavirus, which is, I guess, at least consistent. But at the same time, you know, this is not, a status of affairs that can keep going and and um as i pointed out to someone how can we talk to china or russia if china decides to chuck churches that all they have to do is turn around and say well public health risk yeah you know, public health risk and we can't do anything about it because we have shut down our churches on a purported public health risk yeah. uh, without any evidence without any evidence that shutting them is necessary uh, proportionate required or if if russia decides to ban protest they could say oh it's a public health issue and we can't say a thing because our government has decided to ban protest uh over a public health issue yeah. and um you know it, it's it is we have by we've become the very thing that we've spent decades trying to coax the the country as uh, the countries of the world not to be well hundreds hundreds of years tom hundreds of years i've just been reading uh for quite a while on and off i've been reading winston churchill's biography of john churchill when he uh the um the duke of marlborough as he became who fought the tyrannical french uh you know you'd, you'd like it because um it's a it's essentially a victim a victory of a of uh, Protestantism over over Roman Catholicism, but you know, in all seriousness, they were a tyrannical regime which were uh, seeking to dominate the entirety of Western Europe, and it was only because, really, 
of uh, John Churchill and a few others who held who held the line who were able to defeat them. And of course, then, you know, after that, we uh, were also instrumental in defeating the ty tyranny of, of Napoleon. Uh, we were instrumental, of course, in the 20th century, not not entirely us, but, but a large, largely to do with us, particularly in the Second World War, um, defeating the, the tyrannies of the, uh, the Kaiser and, and then, of course, Adolf Hitler. And uh, yeah. people, people sniff at this and they say, well, this is unrelated, but it's not unrelated because, because we did those things because we believed in a certain type of society where we would be free from autocratic oppression, which were, which were what all those people in their different ways, Louis XVI, Napoleon, the Kaiser and Hitler, they all, they all, um, they all represented that kind of uh, autocratic, uh, unfree society with an absolute head who would control the lives of the citizens and we fought against that and now we've given it away in this in this kind of bizarre um this bizarre kind of supine um way it's you know it's 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 unbelievable really isn't it it didn't take a war to do it it just took it just took a just took a public health scare it's it's it took a frightened government and uh, a out of control um media and uh, to be honest, it took it took a bunch of left wing scientists whose uh, priors really are all about socialism. Uh, yeah. to, and it's no surprise that Sage keep um, suggesting sort of socialistic uh, um, sort of solutions um, yeah. to me. Yeah, and and you know the other thing. Sorry, I just want to pick up on that, Tom. I agree with what you just said, and it's it's so important to realise that scientists have political biases as well as biases about everything else as well but just the thing that we we're talking about last week and perhaps the week before as well about the the vaccine the problem here with with this situation with the vaccine is that if the vaccine is made mandatory aside from the issue of whether or not you know the vaccine will be uh, safe and effective there's also the precedent right if the government says um right you have to take this vaccine and they make that a law then that's a precedent that's been set for future medical treatments as well and this is this is very dark what's going on if that if that precedent is set um you, you've just mentioned there a very good example about the test the test the track and trace whatever it's been an absolute disaster and now they're purporting to use it again for flu i mean it's 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 seriously worrying it's ser you can see how this happens can't you they say it's an emergency we have to do this right and then and then you kind of forget about that and then they apply it to something else, which is clearly not an emergency. You know, so what, you're going to start controlling us now because of the flu. You're going to start monitoring our movements because of the flu. All right, so now you're going to start mandating all kinds of vaccines, uh, not the coronavirus vaccine, for things that I, I'm not susceptible to, for things that aren't dangerous. You're going to start mandating those now. And why, why are you doing this? You know, it's, it's very, very worrying what's going on. And, and people, I think... For lots of people have not realized how how dangerous this this path is that we're going down um the other piece of news i think which is really important to say tom uh, you the christmas stuff is is right and i think you know to the extent that the government have no right to take away our our um our freedom to to congregate with whoever we choose anyway uh we're pleased that we're going to be able to have a reasonably normal christmas day at least but um the of course the lockdown is due to end now as a result of um the um uh well we know this as a result of uh, boris's statement and christian worship will be allowed again i as i understand it i think it's from wednesday um next week 
So um, again, in a sense, the government have absolutely no right to ban Christian worship and it should never have happened anyway. But of course, we welcome the fact that we'll, we'll now be able to gather together to worship God without, without fear of being arrested uh, by, our, by our state police. So that's, that's a, you know, as far as it goes, it's a, in a qualified sense, that's a good thing, isn't it? I think, I think Jamie, um, it's, you know, it's great that we're back and uh, it's wonderful, that, uh, <laughs> wonderful to meet again in worship and know that we'll be able to do so through Christmas. Um, but it should never have been taken away. And uh, I'm hoping that this time Christian Concern continue their court case um, against the government on this uh, particular um, issue. It's the one thing that wasn't um, rejected out of hand by the judge in Simon Dowland's court case um, which of course the appeal to which is still going on. Um, they said that there was an answerable case um, going forward to, um, uh, but it was never pursued. It wasn't pursued because the government assured the churches it wouldn't happen again. Yeah. Uh, and then it and, did. And then it did. Yeah. So I think, um, and I, you know, if and, it, and if if it's discovered to be illegal, and it could well be, uh, the reason it would be illegal is because the. Um, there's various strong safeguards in English law that the, the government shouldn't uh, interfere with the church and uh, it's not entirely certain that um, the legislation they're using allows them to. Uh, if it is found to be um, an illegal move on their part, um, I would be thoroughly uh, in favour of everyone who feels aggrieved by this uh, to be suing the government and, uh, and you know, there's they need to know that this is not acceptable. Um, they need to know it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, I hear where you're coming from, Tom. Um, uh, and I am, I am concerned about this because uh, we all thought that it wouldn't happen again. I mean, to be honest with you, I was, I was always, throughout the summer, I always suspect, well, I, I, I didn't just suspect, I said very explicitly, I think there's going to be another lockdown. Um, I didn't know what would happen with the churches, but um, clearly they they didn't keep their word and they did shut down the churches again and i don't i don't really see why there's any why anyone has any confidence that it won't happen a third time and, and, and a fourth and a fifth uh, as i say the, the precedent has been set now and there's no real reason to to think that it won't that it won't happen again um so i guess my my question is to all, all the people who are listening um who are in positions of responsibility and who can influence this stuff in any way um, what, what are we going to do about this? I mean, we can't, we can't carry on like this, can we? You know, if and when the government shuts our churches again, are we just going to, we're just going to take it next time? You know, we're just going to say, oh, well, it's just a third time in a year or in, in 18 months, you know, it'll be, it'll be all right. And we're, we'll, we'll, we'll be constantly subject to the government's will. And uh, so that's my, my question. I mean, I'm not really in a position personally to, to wield much influence, but uh, I will as much influence as I possibly can. And I say, I think it's absolutely intolerable what's going on. And there needs to be some kind of organized Christian resistance if the government tried to shut our churches down again. I go back to that pastor last week. I was really, I was really cut to the heart by his words. You know, he's been abroad and he's encouraged uh, Christian churches, which are not allowed to meet. They meet illegally because Christianity is banned in their countries. He's gone and encouraged those underground churches. And here in this country, the government are shutting our churches down, albeit for different reasons. But how is he to respond in such a situation? Is he just to, to allow his church to be shut down by the government? I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing that this, is, that this is happening. And I think we need to recover that shock factor, Tom. We need to recover the fact that the, the shock 
of the fact that the government, our government in our country, which has been a country which is built on Christian principles, has, has sent missionaries all around the world um, preaching the gospel. Our country, which is so steeped in Christianity for, for thousands of years, has decided, our government has decided to shut down the Christian church, to illegalize Christian worship, to criminalize Christians meeting together to worship God. This is of immense significance and we must never forget it. And there may be harder days coming up. Sorry, Tom, do you want to come in there? I think, well, no, I was just, I just thought this might be a good point to mention this article by Rome Williams, which we were going to talk about it was back in the 19th of August, which, which was an interesting one. And it really touches on some of the stuff that you're talking about here. And, um, and, he, and, he, and he says that, uh, and it's a very strange article in as much as, um, he, on the one hand, he wants to uh, say that churches are, um, uh, are, have a gospel which goes beyond the fear and death of COVID. And on the other hand, he, he wants to say that, that uh, the churches should shut down for the protection of society nonetheless, um, uh, which is a bit weird. I mean, how, how can we speak to the church in Iran, for example, which meets under constant pressure of death? Um, in what way is there... there you know, from the state. In what way is there a difference there? Um, they're far more likely to die of being caught by the state in Iran uh, for illegally worshipping uh, Christ than they are likely to um, die of COVID if we met in churches. Um, and you know, wh where does it say about our um, our gospel if if it you know if it's so does it so lacks important that it that it can be um, shut up and we can't meet and share in the sacraments and those things which which proclaim the gospel i mean it's it's not just a matter of uh, uh, of a nicety but paul actually says you know every time you eat and drink you proclaim the the, the death and resurrection of christ jesus um this is uh, this is not small things um yeah what does it say about our belief and our confidence in our gospel when we when we allow them to be taken away like this yeah, no, well, that's a great segue, Tom, and I think we should move into the main theme of our, of our podcast now. Just to, just to give some context, a bit more context there, this is an article Tom is referring to called COVID and Confronting Our Mortality, which was, uh, uh, was published on 19th of August by the New Statesman, it's by Rowan Williams. And um, I want to bring that up in, in just a moment um, and talk about it a little bit more. But one, one of the things we touched on last week, which I, I thought was interesting and I thought we should, we should pursue it a little bit, is this idea of... of um, this idea of COVID and the response to it as a kind of false religion, as a kind of false gospel. Now, I think before we before we get into this too deeply, I think we first want to say that um, obviously this is we're not intending to sort of be polemical here or to be even satirical. We, you know, this isn't meant as a, as, a, as kind of a joke, and nor is it meant um, as a criticism of, of people who who adhere to the restrictions. Um, to say that everybody is equally in, implicated in this. Indeed, you know, of course, Tom and I um, uh, adhere to, to some of the restrictions as well. Um, so it's not to say that everybody who is in any way involved in any of the restrictions or anything like that, or, you know, indeed anyone who believes the virus is a really serious problem, uh, is, is, is somehow engaged in a false religion. But, well, let's put it this way. I mean, uh, one of my... One of my um, people I've read quite a lot and I've written a bit about him is, is, is Charles Taylor who wrote a book called A Secular Age and, and one of the things that Charles Taylor is, is saying is that the, the idea of secularism as the replacement 
of religion with something which is not religion is is false you know the idea that as we as we um, amass more knowledge and understand the world more that religion kind of dies away because we're less um, we're less ignorant and superstitious so taylor says oh this is all just this is this is not true and this is not the way society is and it's not the right way to understand secularism what secularism actually is is a kind of is is a kind of replacement of religion with an equally fabricated worldview you know so it doesn't it doesn't include supernatural elements but it's still a comprehensive view of reality and there are still uh, elements of it which are which are faith based right so so taylor says you know uh, it's not the secular what he calls subtraction story you just subtract religion you've got the secular is is is, is not true so this secularism is a thing in itself it's a worldview it's a belief system and as such it tends towards religious convictions. Now they're different types of religious convictions, but they still are religious convictions. And this is why you get quasi-religious practices in secular unbelieving Western countries and people who are atheists um, engage in these practices, right? So you could, you could think of, for example, um, sporting events or, or, um, or rock concerts or whatever, it, or whatever it might be. So basically the point is, just to cut the long story short, is that the secular world that we live in, even though it doesn't profess um, any, any, um, any specific supernatural beliefs, say in a god or, or whatever, uh, it doesn't mean that people are not still very religious. And of course, the biblical precedent for that would be Paul at the uh, Areopagus when he says, you know, he sees the altar to the unknown God and he says, you know, I perceive that you are, you are very religious. And then he, and then he um, goes on to, to, to preach the gospel to them. The same I thing mean, is... Sorry. I, I, just to, I preached on that back in the depths of the last lockdown. Um, it came up as a reading, but it's, it's on the lectionary for... Um, some of the weeks um, between Easter and Pentecost, and I remember preaching about, um, you know, the, the, the banging of pots and pans would be a really good example on a Thursday. Uh, yeah. Was it Thursday at 8 p.m. in the yeah. evening? Well, at 6 yeah. p.m. I can't really remember. I, no, no, you're <laughs> right, you're right, you're right. The worship, the worship of the NHS. The worship of the NHS. And, uh, you know, I, I said, what would Paul say if he came to this country now? He would probably say, look, Britons, you're a very religious people, for I see that you stand out on your doors banging pots and pans to an unknown god uh, yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's a known one i don't know uh, yeah. but yes you know, yeah, yeah, really no, absolutely yeah and it's it's also it's about it's about sorry my ipad just binged but it's about religiosity it's not just about you know whether or not you believe in the supernatural it's about it's about uh, ultimate questions of of meaning and of purpose and of destiny in life right so we've got um we've uh, tom and i are working from a little sort of table i've 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 uh, written up here but in 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 lots of worldviews you get sort of similar um motifs right so in 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 christianity you have uh, you have an enemy so in 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 christianity the enemy rightly thought of is is sin is satan is death you know they, these are the these are the um these are the things that threat these are the entities that threaten our our souls um the savior in in christianity and in the christian gospel is jesus christ who saves us from these things through his through his death and resurrection and then we have a response the the message of the gospel uh, which is proclaimed, I suppose, first by John the Baptist, is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, a, it's about turning from your old life of, of sin and of allegiance to Satan and, and the dark powers. Uh, it's about repenting of those things and putting your faith in Jesus Christ and transferring your allegiance to Jesus Christ. Um, that's, you know, those are some of the leitmotifs of the, the Christian gospel. 
the, the, what I call the gospel of COVID it has a different set of answers to those, those questions. So when we talk about the enemy in the gospel of COVID, the enemy is the coronavirus, right? So we've all been, um, we've all been kind of mobilized by the government and the press to, to think of the coronavirus as a kind of enemy. And I, I, I think, Tom, you must have noticed, as, as I have, the way that the coronavirus is personified. Um, as though we're, always, co- Sorry, we're always talking about beating the coronavirus as if it's some sort of war. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Boris Johnson likes his Churchill kind of uh, parallels and is talking about this as a sort of epic struggle uh, between man and coronavirus. Um, so, yes, definitely the enemy. But, but yeah. also maybe, um, and maybe there's another slot in there. Um, there's a sense in which those who do not, cons- uh, do not follow the mainstream narrative on the coronavirus are the enemy um, yeah. and they, there's a sort of uh, there's a parallel maybe in christianity between those um, the those followers of, of heresies um and uh and you know which were frowned upon by the church uh, because they led people away from god uh, and a proper understanding of sin and of christ um and in the coronavirus this is you know people who are who are you know, not spreading the fear, not um, not following uh, the same uh, the lines yeah. as others um, who are not wearing masks, who are not socially distancing, who are not following the rules. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, so, her- heresy is a very good category, Tom. Actually, and that's not something I put in this table, but you're absolutely right. And I think, and I think, really interesting um, example of that from this week. Did you see the Carl Hennigan uh, paper in the Spectator? I so did. Carl Hennigan. Been, yeah. Um, the, you, you go ahead. Carl is the professor for evidence-based medicine at Oxford. He's also a practicing GP, um, and he's um, you know he's a scholar and a practical man as well. Um, he's he's something of a skeptic of uh, lockdowns, um, and certainly of some of the science which is coming out from the government. He he wrote an article for the Spectator magazine, hardly a um, uh, sort of um, hardly a a small magazine it's one of the biggest ones around at the moment huge yeah, nor, nor is it the kind of tinfoil hat wearing you know far-right no, conspiracy theory bunch of nutters type thing it's a very no, it's, respectful it's very magazine yeah uh, it was some very respectable writers and um i think uh facebook just took took issue with uh this particular article uh which uh simply pointed out that um the the, the danish mass study showed no benefit um statistically speaking which is true and in fact there's not, not a word in the article which isn't strictly true uh facebook um have le- marked it with a um a sort of one of their fake news things and has a link to another article which claims that the uh that the uh the study needs to be uh rubbished basically yeah that it, that it contains false false information yeah which it doesn't um it doesn't claim to, uh, he makes no claims in it that are not true um and uh and i think um i think this is a good example yes of uh, of of a of, of, of heresy yeah. uh, in the covid religion yeah yeah absolutely so so the uh the religious the religious uh, garb which so so many religions have uh is is it doesn't achieve what it's said to achieve um, science is increasingly showing this and of course as we noticed last week there's no convincing evidence that the masks really do what they're purported to do but if you say that in the public sphere the advocates of this religious way of viewing the world are now censoring even professors who are 
you know, they're, they're among the most eminent in their field in the entire world, right? So it's, uh, Carl Hennigan is a, is a top professor uh, and, you know, his Facebook purports to know more than he does and uh, to be able to critique and, um, and, uh, and correct his work. So the, on a kind of straightforward intellectual level, it's an absolute absurdity that Facebook think that they're in a position to do this to somebody like him. But when you view it in a religious framework, it makes perfect sense because Facebook don't want something which contradicts their dogma to be promulgated on, at least on their, as, as far as they're, as far as they're capable of censoring it. And of course, Facebook are not disinterested in this whole thing. They've, they've made all social media has made huge profits out of the, co- the coronavirus being yeah. driven online. Anyway, this, should, we, should we continue? We, we've got through the saviour. What's the saviour of COVID, Jamie? Well, the saviour, I mean, one, one of the saviours, I think, for our, for our countries we were just discussing is, is, uh, is the NHS and the, the, great, the great devotional turn to the NHS, as you, as you noted quite rightly, the, the worship of, of, of the NHS, which, as, as we say, we're not, we're not saying everyone intends to worship the NHS, but it is a, it's an inherently religious action to go outside of your, your home and to applaud communally uh, some some institution right it's not it's not we're not saying it's supernatural but we're saying it's a religious uh, devotional action and um, in yeah indeed the emphasis just in general that our our society puts on the NHS is a bit like that as well uh, because the NHS is seen to be the, the 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 thing that protects us from from death which is the ultimate enemy uh, but of course Tom we, we discussed a lot last week the way that the, the um, these these various vaccines that have been developed are being spoken about in this this language which is so it's so obviously religious you know the 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 syringe standing at the end of a long dark tunnel in in the light you know like like a resurrected christ which was on the front of what was that was that on the front of uh, the new statesman or the observer or something and of course the matt hancock famous quote of uh, injecting hope into our into our arms so the 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 savior in the gospel of COVID is very much uh, the, the vaccine and the ones who are capable of administering this salvation, the priesthood, if you like, of the gospel of COVID is indeed the, uh, the scientist, you know, the Chris Whitty, the, uh, the Patrick Valance and so on. I think one of the interesting things moving forward is to talk about the response to, um, to COVID because this is, this is where we get, we get into more of a discussion of, of how we as Christians um, should or, or could engage with this. So the response, of course, we've spoken about the response to the to the true gospel, which is which is faith, repentance, and then and then we are in a situation now where we're waiting for the return of Christ. Um, we're waiting for Christ's second coming, uh, which we profess uh, we profess in the Eucharist and we profess in the creeds and so on. The the response for COVID, uh, you know, the message, you know, we have an enemy, we have a, a savior. The, the response I, I put here, Tom, I don't know what you think about, but I think the response slash the message is that we need to be obedient to the rules. And we have these religious mantras. So we had, you know, um, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives. Now we've got, uh, I think, is it hands, face, space? I'm not sure what, what, it's, what the order is, but it's, it's, you know, it's these three words, hands, face, space. So make sure you wash your hands. So this is, a, this is like a ritual cleansing. Um, 
cover your face, which is the uh, you know the religious garb of of this of this of this movement, and keep your space from other people, which is a kind of um, I see it as a kind of uh, it's the equivalent of chastity, isn't it? It's like don't touch other people. So there's a kind of um, there's a kind of taboo about about bodies, which is which is which again is absolutely uh, common to all to all religions. It's you know your body. The, you, uh, most religions have an embodied aspect where the body is very very significant. Can be very negative. Can be very positive. So so this is it's a comprehensive system of religiosity. Carry Do on. You know, it, remind, it reminds me of uh, of not so much Christianity, but uh, but the. Um... The, the, the weird rules around manichaeism um, that um, yeah, yeah. you know uh, that where the, you had these sort of monks and spiritual elders who um, who obtained uh, perfection by um, living lives apart from other people and you had people uh, you know who, whose job it was to feed them um, they they ate um, I believe lots of cucumbers because uh, they believed they were holy uh, yeah. and uh, contained light. Um, I don't know how they came to that conclusion, to be honest with you. I always hated cucumbers when I was at school. I used to throw them on the floor under the table so that I didn't then, have to eat them. Then you wouldn't make a good mannequin. Um, Definitely not. No, I don't think so. Um, maybe not for you. Um, and, and other melons, I believe, uh, various types of stuff. But yes, um, very strange sect. Uh, but yes, there's weird kind of taboos around the body uh, about keeping away from other people, about uh, seeing everyone as a, as a plague, as a carrier of plague. They were quite Gnostic. They, they saw the bodies yeah, and embodiment as being, as being evil. It's quite a Gnostic idea. Gnostic means knowledge. And the knowledge, uh, and the sort of what you had with uh, in the sort of ancient world is a strange sort of pseudo-Christianity uh, which came to be known as Gnosticism, which um, kind of uh, wasn't was actually more more related to other religions, but had Christian elements in it. Um, and one of the things they thought was matter was bad, yeah. and other and and, the, and you know our job was to through secret knowledge to uh, to to um, to leave our bodies behind, um, yeah, to transcend the material. Yeah, and that's material. It's kind of, it's, it's, there's echoes of that, aren't there? Um, yeah, there are absolutely. I think you're absolutely right, and of course that's a that's a motif in 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 Platonism as well. Um, there's obviously some debate around this in, in Platonism, but certainly in certain types of Platonism, there's this idea that matter, because it's the furthest thing away from the one, which is essentially God, is is um, is corrupted and evil. And I mean, I'll just put it out there, Tom. I, I think that Plato basically thought this. I know there are many people who, who didn't, but, but essentially the, 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 the body is a prison of the soul, right? So the body is corrupt. And that, and that couldn't be that couldn't be further from the Christian message, which is, which is that matter is inherently good because God created it. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a real difference, and and the body is essentially good, or capable of good. Um, Absolutely. Because God created it. We, you know, he, um, it's flawed by sin, but that's not God. Yeah. Um, in fact, Augustine wrestling with this problem of how does sin and God exist, and how does matter work, it kind of came up with the idea that that, that sin is where God isn't. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a sort of falling away from God and matter and people can be caught in that falling away from God. But inherently, there's nothing inherently wrong with matter but being embodied. Yeah, um, the, the, the problem people have, I think, on this is they, they, they see the, uh, the flesh-spirit dichotomy in the New Testament and they think that that means the dichotomy between the spirit as in the non-physical and the flesh, which means the physical. But of course, and this is also something Augustine talks about, um, the, the, the flesh there doesn't mean physical matter it means any work of of sin and rebellion against god which can of course be a 
it doesn't have to be associated with matter for example pride is not it's not a work of the physical body it's a work of the mind or of the soul and um and and similarly the holy spirit doesn't just work through non-material means but also through material means as well and the body is at its highest a means of grace this is part of the problem with all this these restrictions around our worship uh, um, obviously different um, traditions in the church have different uh, patterns of worship but there are there are very few forms of christian worship which have no relationship to the body at all and in a sacramental tradition like the one I'm involved in and, and I'm sure the one Tom is involved in as well. There are various points in the liturgy at which the body is conveying some kind of grace. So uh, one example of that would be the piece, which has been removed now. But the piece has a, the piece is uh, generally um, prefaced by uh, some kind of exhortation, like, you know, let us offer one another a sign of peace. And then people shake hands or they, they embrace or, or whatever it might be, or they might kiss. Um, all of this has a has a has a basis in scripture, you know, where the Apostle Paul says, you know, greet each other with a holy kiss. It's a sign of reconciliation between people. And it put, I don't know whether you've ever had this situation, Tom, where you're about to take the Eucharist and you've fallen out with somebody in the congregation, particularly if it's a small congregation. And then you come to the peace and you have to offer the sign of the peace with that person. And if you can't do it, if you can't do it really is a sign that you should not be receiving the body and blood of the Lord, because you are not in, in, in fellowship with your, with your brother or sister. And so you, you I, must sort that out first. Frequently happened at Cudston, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> the... No, you were, you were very popular at Cudston, Tom. But just, um, the, 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 just let me just finish this. The, the thing I want to nail there is that the physical touching of bodies is a means of grace because it is a sign and it is an effective sign of reconciliation. Very, very yeah. important. And scripturally uh, commanded as well. Sorry, go ahead, John. Tom. No, and I was just just sort of musing really um, about sort of some of the reactions you see when people um, don't follow the sort of one one of these sort of uh, responses that you are expected from the COVID um, sort of religion. Um, you know, uh, very similar to the sort of uh, to the sort of responses that you would have got, say, in a in a church if someone didn't go up to um, to receive uh, communion. For example, at one point, you know, where 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 in a church, for example, where um, the Eucharist is habitual, um, you know, and someone doesn't go up, there's there's a, there's a sort of almost uh, they they socially ostracise themselves from the, from the other people. Um, now they may have very I, I don't agree with that. It must be said uh, no. there are many good reasons why you wouldn't want to take the communion uh, if you you know if you simply don't feel like it's the right thing to do, then you shouldn't take it. Uh, but um, you know, it, it, there's a, there's a sort of sense. Um, sometimes that you have to because to not do so is to, is to not join in with the um uh with, with the kind of uh the community with the, with, the, with the with the statement of worship you're rejecting the statement of worship from everyone else and, and that is a similar sort of feeling that people are getting maybe um uh when someone doesn't wear a mask or doesn't uh sort of uh, follow the space or um sort of uh kind of strictures that we're supposed to follow yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right, Tom, and I think you're you're, you're absolutely right to emphasise the 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 fact that in in Christianity we have such a positive view of the body, and Christianity has has lost it's lost its view of that at times, uh, certainly, uh, but it nevertheless is is the case that um, the the uh, Christian theology does have and should have a very high place for. 
for the dignity of the human body specifically, of course, the human soul as well, but soul and body together. Um, and this, this new COVID religion, I would say, it really views the body in the most negative way it possibly can, because we're just bags of germs that are walking around, uh, potentially infecting each other. And so, you know, our bodies are essentially problematic, uh, deeply problematic. They don't convey grace. They don't convey blessing. All they do is infect other people. All they are is sources of infection. And this is, this is, the, this is the massive problem with the scientific technocracy that we're living with, is that they have, they have an implicit theology. They have an implicit anthropology. And they are, they are, um, they are supervening on on real theology, which says that this is, this is a false view of the body. They're saying, no, actually all you are is a bag of germs. And so therefore it doesn't matter if, you know, you can't, you can't do your religious practices. It doesn't matter if, uh, if you can't go and, and see your family. Really the most important reality about you is that you are a potential source of infection for other human beings. And as you rightly point out, Tom, that's about, that's about the lowest view of the human body that you can possibly get. Interesting as well, the attitude towards sex that comes with this, isn't it? Because we've entered a new kind of, um, what's, what's that word I'm thinking of? Um, uh, Puritanism with, with this, where, where Boris, who you know, is, a, is a notorious um, womanizer, uh, has, has effectively and actually explicitly banned uh, casual liaisons. Uh, as a result of this, so it's interesting, isn't it? That there's a there's a there's a sexual chastity that goes along with the uh, with the view of the body, with this really negative view of the body, which also maps on to um, various various religious forms, uh, such as you know really puritanical uh, versions of Christianity, but of course things like Manichaeanisms and uh, Manichaeanism and, and and forms of Platonism as well, uh, which which often um, stress uh, celibacy. So, so it's kind of, uh, there, there is uh, an interesting parallel there as well. And then I think the other, the other parallel with, with, with the true gospel of, 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 um, of Christ is that as we as Christians are now waiting for Jesus, you know, uh, to, to, to come again, the, the, the COVID religion is, is preaching a similar, uh, well, not similar, but an analogous eschatology, which is that all we need to do now is as we keep these practices, we now wait for the vaccine and the vaccine will be the thing that will come and will eventually deliver us in the same way as we as Christians are waiting for Jesus. Um, sorry, did you want to come in there, Tom? I think your microphone is on mute. It, it was. Um, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, the, 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 the sort of faith, the false salvation of the COVID gospel is, is the vaccine. Um, and um, they're, they're trying to row back from that now because they've realised that if they push the vaccine too much, then everyone goes and vaccinate, gets vaccinated, that everyone will stop listening to them. Um, yeah. It's a bit of a problem, so isn't it? You get sort of Boris saying, well, no, no, hang on, hang on, the vaccine's not here yet. It's not, you think, well, I mean, you know, by their own logic, once, once the vulnerable are vaccinated, people are not going to be following these, uh, these absurd laws. I certainly won't be. Well, um, the, thing, the thing is, Tom, is this is the way that um, autocratic and totalitarian regimes always work, isn't it? It's the same thing with Marxism, because Marxism is, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a secular religion and it promises a utopia. So, so the, the final form of, of, of a Marxist uh, revolution is not, you know, a Stalinist uh, totalitarian government it's that the power is given back to the people the means of production are given back to the people and the people are finally in charge of their own destiny 
uh, they they have uh, economic independence you know they can spend their days doing literary criticism and and, and uh, shooting and and fishing right so so the idea is that there's a revolutionary government for a time and then comes the utopia right but that never happens because when the revolutionary government give, get into power they don't want to give that power back to the people. They don't want to give the power to the people. And so they keep on promising the utopian future, which justifies all of their diabolical actions. But they have no, they have no uh, intention of actually progressing to that, that final stage. And I think that's the, that's, the, that's the worry here, is that the same thing will happen. The government will keep on saying, oh, a vaccine, a vaccine, a vaccine, a vaccine. And it will keep, it will keep people in subjection to these rules. But we all know that a vaccine is not going to provide total deliverance from this virus. And um, they'll, people will, will buy it because they'll keep on saying it. They'll keep on promising a vaccine. They'll keep on saying, just wait, keep waiting, keep waiting. And it will never come. We'll be held in subjection until this whole, this whole edifice is somehow broken, which is, of course, I think what we both think is, uh, is, is the, the only way out of this, really. Yep, yep. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I, I thought it'd be interesting having having sort of gone gone over that a bit. I think it was in, it'd be interesting in this last section to um, to talk about um, what we think the what we think the Lord might be saying in this situation, or perhaps to put it with slightly more humility, we we might say, what is the Christian response to this? You know, what what do what do we as followers of Christ think that the Lord would have us do? as a result of, of, of this uh, situation, right? Now, uh, Tom mentioned earlier the Rome Williams paper, which is called, um, and I've got it here, and we'll put it on the show notes as always, COVID and confronting our, something or other, COVID and confronting our own uh, mortality. Now, I think that this uh, paper is a quite a good e example of the what you might call the, the the establishment line on COVID, as far as the the, the church, not just the Anglican Church, but the, the church in in general, is uh, is concerned. And I think the church has basically taken this line, which would go something like this: um, We have a common problem, so you know, a problem which is common to all the people in our society, Christians and non-Christians alike. Uh, this common problem must be solved by a common solution, i.e., as we've just been speaking about the vaccine. Uh, whilst we await that final solution, uh, we all must obey the rules. Um, it is not godly to oppose this because people will die due to your action if you do. Um, that uh, that uh, sentence, I'm, I'm reading a sort of short summary that I, I gave, that sentence is... Um, it's actually referencing an article that was written by um, Charlie Bell, who's an academic at Cambridge and an ordinand, where he quotes, he calls them the prolocutors of the two provinces. I think he means the two archbishops of Canterbury, uh, who stated at some point early on in the pandemic, that quotation, every trip we take outside our home endangers life, ours, our families, even perfect strangers. And Charlie Bell's point there is that that statement, he calls it demonstrably false. Um, because it, 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 um, it asserts as a certainty something which is only a possibility, right? So if they'd said, it may be the case that we endanger other people if we go outside, rather than it definitely does endanger people who, who um, if, we, if we go inside, uh, sorry, it definitely does endanger people if we go outside. So there's that kind of 
that response, which I think is being increasingly challenged. But I think that that's basically what we've been told, isn't it? Got a problem, uh, sorry, we've got a common problem. We need to wait for a common solution. We must follow the rules because if we don't follow the rules, everybody will, well, not everybody, but lots and lots of people will, will, will get unwell and die. And that's, that's basically, I think, what we've been told. Is that, do you think that's a fair summary, Tom, of, of what we've been told? Yeah, yeah, and, and um, I, think, I think that is a fair summary. And, and Rowan Williams, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's riffing off a, a sort of a, an idea. Um, and, and his idea is, well, he starts off with a, with a bit of a straw man, actually. Um, uh, an, an article from a conservative religious journal in the United States. Um, and the, the article argued that believers... Um, should not fear death. So why should we capitulate to the fear of death in society? Why should the churches be closed? Surely if we're confident in our um, eternal life, um, we should be able to stay apart from this and not uh, and not be closed with the rest of society. And yeah. at the very least, we should, uh, we should argue um, against it strongly. And, um, and he's sort of, after a fair bit of waffle in the middle, <laughs> sort of comes back to it and, um, and and concludes that in one sense they're right. Uh, there are worse things than dying. Facing death without panic is something that ought to characterise people who profess faith. He then goes on to say that whilst that might be the case, um, if, we take thing, if we do things that are risky, we might cause death to others um, who have not got that uh, point of view, as far as I could tell. Um, so it's the what he says is... Um, uh, his own, one's own readiness to face death um, should, shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't lead the church into um, risky behaviour um, because it could, um, uh, it could intensify the problem elsewhere, um, which would, which would, um, so he says here, willfully risking the health of others to demonstrate my courage or my faith doesn't only increase their danger of death, it increases the risk of a wider range of traumas and losses, the pain of bereavement, the bewildering disruptions of our life, the strain on those working in healthcare. Yeah. Um, Bizarre, isn't it? In, in, um, in the end, uh, Jamie, if, uh, if a courageous stand, the, the sort of courageous stand in the, in the face of death that Rowan Williams is, is criticising here, individual fearlessness, uh, demonstrates to others that there is a life beyond death, that there is a, a need for Christ, that there is... Um, there is joy and no sting in in uh, in death for Christians, then uh, and you know and proclaims that message loud and strong. Then what harm is being done? What, where is this harm? I, I don't really follow well, his reasoning. I mean, I think I think Tom, his reasoning is that we shouldn't put um, other people who don't. I think you already said it earlier. We shouldn't put people who don't have faith in uh, in harm's way because of our faith. I think that's what he's. I think that's what he's trying to get to. Um, it is it is a strange I think it's a really strange argument uh, and and I must say as well you know I, I um, have a huge amount of respect for Rowan Williams I've read lots of his books and I've, I've written about him um, so I'm not I, I almost choose this as like the strongest example of this kind of establishment line because he is unquestionably the finest intellectual mind in uh, who, who has been a bishop uh, in the Anglican Church um, you know, perhaps for a hundred years. I mean, he's he's a, he's a, he's a, he's such a he's such a, a brilliant thinker. But this argument, the reason I find it so bizarre, is it's such an obvious false dichotomy, right? It's 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 saying, um, right, you can you can um, be fearless and courageous in your faith, and then all these terrible things will happen, or we can all go into lockdown, and that 
you know that's that's clearly uh, a better thing to do i mean he, he he sums it up in his in his you know his uh, his usual his usual way uh, it's an invitation to be to attend to to be absorbed in value depth and beauty not our own it is to recognize the gentle insistent pressure of a shared reality which tells us to make room for one another. That's his very poetic way of saying we should all we should all be locked down. Yeah, just Perhaps. let me just sorry, just let me just let me finish the point, right? Because otherwise I'll lose my train of thought. The 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 thing I the thing I want to say about this is this is so obviously a false dichotomy, right? So it's not it's not one or the other. You we we would have all I think been very happy back in March to keep the churches open and to have some level of caution. Uh, applied in those situations right so some level of social distancing in the church uh you know we would have i think we'd all wouldn't we all have said of course of course let's do that right the thing we're objecting to is is not is not uh, making space for other people or or um being considerate of other people the the thing we're objecting to is the total shutdown of society including the shutdown of the churches for a th for a threat which does not represent that kind of action that's that's the problem and the other thing just while i'm on it tom is when he says you know it increases the risk of the wider range of traumas that we noted earlier so above this bit uh, the pain of bereavement in abnormal circumstances bewildering disruption of life in our society the strain on those working public public utilities and healthcare those things have already happened they've been happening for eight months and we we've had all the lockdowns so we haven't we haven't we haven't avoided, for example, bereavement in abnormal circumstances. People have been dying alone in their thousands in hospitals. We haven't, the lockdown hasn't averted that at all. That's a government policy. You know, the bewildering disruptions of our life and society. The, the lockdowns have had far more of a catastrophic effect on our society than the coronavirus. It's like when, you know, back in whenever it was, in, in May, when, um, when Johnson was ill and Dominic Raab was saying, you know, unless we keep the country locked down and the economy not functioning, then we'll have to have an even bigger lockdown in a few months and then the economy won't function f for longer. It's like, it's, what kind of logic is that, you know? Sorry, Tom, you were going to come in. I was going well, a bit of a ramble. I was just sort of going back, yeah, you could run. Um, I was going to go back to the, to the, the Roman's conclusion, which is the idea, I mean, that he claims there is a shared reality between those who are gospel worshippers and those um, who are, sorry, not gospel, gospel followers and those who are um, sort of um, not. Uh, and I would gently like to push back against that because I don't think there is. I don't think there can be. We've, we've, spoke, we've spoken already about the about how how the COVID sort of uh, religion, the COVID following, uh, sort of um, has a different, very different assumptions to, um, to to Christianity, and, and indeed assumptions that are not compatible with Christianity. And I think that's the case in general. Actually, we're, we're not talking about um, sort of Christians and non-Christians sitting in a room and sharing the same reality because because the Christian reality is 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 changed dramatically by the inclusion of Christ in there. And that, you know, there's, there's no doubt about it. There's, there's no way that there is a shared idea of what death is. Um, and it, and it kind of, that kind of rose back from, from what you're saying already, which is that Christians have a, a different perspective, entirely different perspective on death um, to, to others. You know, it's, it's simply not true. We, we, we don't have a, a, a common ground by which to approach the problem of pandemic with people who don't have faith. And yeah. to pretend that we do is, is, is a lie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Tom. I think that that's at the heart of this whole problem, isn't it? Is that we have a situation where there are, there are at least two groups, 
with with totally different worldviews involved in the situation. I mean, obviously there are other religions as well, but of course for the secular world there is nothing beyond death, uh, and for the Christian there there is something. So it's a it's a radically different understanding of reality, isn't it? And, and looking back at the nineteen eighteen pandemic of flu, I mean, in that in that one, of course, we we all know now that the, the churches were kept open to provide comfort. You know. Yeah. How different is that? You know, rather than rather than locking down to provide the comfort of a shared reality, the churches were kept open because of, because a Christianized country yeah. shared the assumption not that not that that, um, that religion is fundamentally personal to be kept away from the public square and to uh, you know and 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 to only be followed in as much as it doesn't endanger other people, but actually yeah. the the life giving truths of Christianity were a comfort to all. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's right, Tom. And you have to ask yourself, what is more humane? The situation as it was then, where people could go and receive solace from from the church and they could have proper funerals. They could be attended by priests and relatives when they died. Or the situation now when people are isolated in their homes, when they go into hospital. I mean, I know there are exceptions to this, but but they largely speaking died alone. They've been separated from relatives and friends they haven't been able a lot of the time to have uh, priests or, or Christian leaders uh, attend them and pray with them. And they've not had proper funerals and they've been buried uh, sometimes in mass graves, sometimes just without any any kind of uh, uh, proper ceremony at all. What which one is which one is more humane? Which one is more indicative of a humane society? I think it's I think it's quite clear. Uh, that we've lost our way. Um, it reminds me of a remark that was made by Giorgio Agamben, who, as far as I know, is not uh, a believer of any sort, who said that we have crossed the line from humanity to inhumanity when the dead are buried, sorry, when the dead die and are buried alone without even a funeral. Um, let's move on to uh, one final section before we finish, Tom. So, Tom, I've been thinking, you know, obviously we would we want to critique this response. We don't we don't think that this response is 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 correct. Or at least I, I, I'm willing to say I don't think it is. And I think part of the reason it's not correct is because it doesn't really it's not it's not a spiritual reading of, of what's going on. You know, it doesn't it doesn't really attend to questions around uh, what God wants or what God might be trying to say to us in in any real sense. I mean, you know, we know the famous tweet now, you know, washing your hands is loving your neighbor. Uh, wearing a mask is loving your neighbor etc i mean i think you and i would both say that that's a it's a fairly um you know it's 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 a fairly banal response to to the situation it's not something that i think either of us finds particularly convincing i think that's that's fair to say isn't it yep yep um so i and i i guess what i want to do now is just offer a kind of reading of what i think uh could be going on in this situation now as i say i'm not i'm not i'm not claiming to be a prophet or anything but when you read the prophets in scripture they're all they're all very similar in in the things that they say or at least in terms of the in terms of the motifs that are employed in scripture um so for example i've been reading through um the prophet jeremiah recently right and the whole book of jeremiah i think we were talking about this last week weren't we tom the whole book of jeremiah is really about uh, God calling Jeremiah to call the land of Israel, or is it the land of Judah, I think it is, uh, to repentance, right? So if you repent, God will, um, he will bless you, you'll be united with God, and you'll be able to achieve your purpose as a nation. If you don't repent, then God is going to bring disaster on you, right? I think that's that's a fairly good su- summary of, of all the prophets, really, in, in, in some ways. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so for example, um, 
it's just it's just amazing sometimes i don't know whether you find this tom of how contemporary scripture um her sounds uh, so i was reading uh, jeremiah chapter 17 for example and and um at one point the lord says your wealth and all your treasures i will give for spoil as the price of your sin throughout all your territory uh, in verse five cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm whose heart turns away from the lord and uh, and then conversely um Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends up its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes, etc., etc. It's evocative of, of uh, the first psalm there. And um, that's, that's, the, that's the message of uh, the book of Jeremiah. It's a message of many of the prophets in, in Scripture. And the same kind of thing applies today obviously there's you know questions around you know how we apply the, the the prophecies which were made to ancient israel to to the situation today but nevertheless there is still this dynamic for us as individuals and for us as nations whereby we believe if we follow the lord the lord will bless us part, uh, primarily through a relationship with jesus christ but also through giving us wisdom in the way that we think and in the way that we live and and for me, one of the key chapters for understanding our our culture, I suppose, in our societies is the first chapter of, of the book of Romans. Now, in the in the first chapter of the book of Romans, which is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, Paul talks about the way that God gives people over to the futility of their thinking when they forget God, when they turn their back on God. They no longer want God. They no longer want his wisdom. They no longer want an understanding of creation. Um, as it's been revealed to us by God, but they want to come to their own conclusions. And so God, as it were, gives them over to those things. And they, they, end, up, they end up living in ways which are, which are sinful and wrong, but they also end up thinking in ways which are really futile, which are, just, Paul uses phrases like, they're darkened in their imagination and so on and so forth. And I think that that's a really, that's a really central category here. Because one of the things that we've spoken about time and time again on this podcast is the seeming irrationality of everything that is, well, not, perhaps not everything, but so much of what is going on is so irrational. It's so futile. And it's interesting when you listen to lockdown skeptics who are, who are say, not, not Christians, but who nevertheless would have an analysis that we would, you know, largely speaking, agree with. They can't understand why are these people being so stupid? Why, why are they behaving like this? You know, why are they making these decisions which are going to bankrupt the country, which are clearly going to kill tens of thousands of people, which are going to plunge people into abject ruin and, and misery? It makes no sense. And the, the answer I think that I've come to here, Tom, and I'd be interested to hear your, your comments on, on this, the answer that I've come to is that these people are futile in their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding. In Reformed theology, I believe there's a term for this, which is called a noetic understanding, which basically means that sin, it doesn't just affect us on a kind of emotional or on a psychological level, but it actually affects us on an intellectual level as well. And so we start doing things which are, to put it bluntly, very, very stupid. And I think what's happening at the moment is that as a nation, we are doing things which are incredibly stupid because we have forsaken the knowledge of the Lord and the wisdom that the Lord gives to us. And it is a type of judgment. It's not the Lord throwing thunderbolts from heaven and, and killing us all that way. It's him giving us over to our futility and the, the lack of wisdom, the folly that we have in turning our back on him. 
And the, yeah, as I say, I think it is, I think it is a judgment. It's a judgment primarily um, on us for forsaking the Lord and for some of our wicked practices as a society, one of which obviously is, the principal one is, is, is uh, the abortion industry. This so reminds, reminds me strongly of Augustine, um, an Augustinian sort of ideas about the fall, which was essentially that Adam and Eve were given over to the things which, um, to things which they, they sinned on, you know, because they, because they sinned, they were given over to sin. Yeah. Uh, you know, as a punishment, the punishment for sin was no more and no less than, than sin itself, um, because they 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 were in a position where their wills could align with God, and they chose to not align their wills with godly things with God. Yeah. Uh, their punishment was to never be able to properly align their wills with God. Yeah. Um, except for in Christ and by the grace of God. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and I think Tom, the thing I've been thinking about, you know, particularly with this abortion thing, is for a long time. I mean, I've been deeply troubled by the the the, the practices of abortion in our in our country. You know, from my whole life, pretty much. I, you know, I think it's a terrible, it's a terrible uh, sin uh, that we are we're killing children uh, by, you know goodness knows how many um in this country in our hospitals children children are being killed and i do think you know that if there is a god which we believe that there is and if that god cares about children and he cares about their lives as as we believe that he does he will visit judgment upon us for doing this we cannot carry on doing this forever and i'm not saying abortion is the only sin in our culture it's clearly the most grievous grievous it's, it's, one and you know one of the things which uh, you know I, I when a lot of Christians have been saying oh we should close down the church as a sign of uh, sign of submission um, you know and um, to, to authority and because you know it's it's a sign of going alongside other people um, do you know it, through the second lockdown Jamie um, abortion clinics have remained open face to face kind of consultation you know you're thinking that the government have shut down worship but kept up idolatrous sacrifice of our children to our yeah. uh, to, to, to the 60s sexual revolution um, it's, it's revolting and you know yeah. uh, whilst that goes on you can there can be no excuse for shutting down the churches yeah, yeah. well i mean it just it just shows what the priorities of, of our society is uh or are rather doesn't it um tom i want to draw attention to these comments that have been made by the two archbishops which i believe have been made at the there's some is it a sort of virtual general synod or whatever is going on at the moment. Uh, Justin Welby um, said, and we've got this article here, which I'll share in the show notes. We do not know what kind of Church of England will emerge from this time, speaking of the time of the coronavirus and so on, except that it will be different. It will be changed by the reality for them, uh, that for the first time, all churches have closed, first time in 800 years. It will be changed because for the first time we have worshipped virtually. He continued, out of these times we will see renewal, not because we are clever, but because God is faithful. We will see a renewed and changed church emerging from the shocks of lockdown. It is a church that, at the most local, has fed so many, been in touch with the isolated through, through, through the heroic efforts of all who take part in it, of clergy and laity and those who weren't even near the church before these times. It is a church which has continued to pray and to offer worship through our Lord Jesus Christ, even if new, in new and unusual ways. Tom, what's your, what's your response to that? I am very sceptical uh, that much of what we've seen um, through this time is healthy for the long-term church. I, you know, um, it's, it's not, to me, a matter of um, 
of seeing the beginning of renewal here, but, but we've got to re simply reject some of the stuff that's been coming out. You know, I, I do not think that online church is a gathering. It's not something which uh, is a successful um, experiment. People might flock to it, but it's not, it's not, it's not church. It's not an ecclesia. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, whatever a mixed economy church is, it, it, online might be a useful thing to exhort people to, to join together in morning and evening prayer it might be possible to you know it might be a good thing to do that but it but it's not a rep it's not a gathering it's not a gathering in the sacraments it's not you know there's no way that you could conduct the majority of the church uh business uh, online um you, you know you just wonder whether this is really about cutting money uh it's cheaper yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I see what you're saying, Tom. And I think the, uh, I was trying to find, I'm trying to find a scripture here. I think it's in the second book of, of Timothy. Uh, yeah, here it is. Uh, they're saying, just in response to Justin saying, uh, the church will be revitalized or renewed, not because we're clever, but because God is faithful. Uh, in the second chapter of the St. Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, uh, if we have died with him, we shall li also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. That's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you almost think it would say, if we deny him, he, he, will, he will not deny us. But it doesn't say that. It says, if we deny him, he will also deny us because we are, we are denying who he is and he cannot deny who he is. And so when, when um, the archbishop says that God is faithful, then we say, amen, God is faithful. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we being faithful to him? He won't renew us just because he, will, he is faithful. He will renew us if we are faithful to him. And we have to return to the Lord with all our hearts as a church. And it's not just the abortion issue, but that is a massive issue that the church needs to start speaking out about, needs to start, it needs to recover its prophetic voice. If we carry on, marrying ourselves to the state and baptizing the secular godless state's pronouncements in Christian language, we're going to follow the path of the state to de devastation and ruin. There could be further crises coming down this road of various types, which we, which we can't even imagine at the moment. Further health crises, uh, vaccine problems, problems with medications that, that, that fail as a result of, of what's going on, autocratic government takeovers, widespread despair and uh, suicidal um, tendencies and depression, civil unrest, the, the shaking of the structures of our society. Okay, now I'm not, I hope all this stuff doesn't happen, but I really can't see how the road that we're going down as a society is going to end in some kind of harmonious uh, resolution. As a church, we have to discover our prophetic voice and our prophetic voice has to be calling the culture back to faithfulness to Christ, to repentance, to faith. And then, then we will see God renewing the church. Then we will know blessing and healing as a church and as a culture. But the, the road we're going down at the moment leads to death. We're living in a post-Christian culture. Our, our politicians are not Christians. They don't have Christian values. And they are, you know, they're leading the country into, into folly and, and devastation. And I'm sorry for all our listeners to be so negative. Uh, but but that that is the reality. The hope is Jesus Christ and the gospel, repentance, faith, 
then we will see re re renewal, then we will see blessing, but we cannot carry on in this way. Tom, am, I being, am I being too negative there? No, I don't think you are, Jamie. I think, I think you're speaking some home truths. Right, I've, I've really got to go. I'm really sorry, you put, Jamie. You put, um, your full, you put your full collar on, Tom. I can see you're in, you're in work mode now. Um, but yeah, no, thank you so much, Tom. Uh, just to say um, for all our listeners, thank you for listening. Do email us in, uh, email in to us at irreverendpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, irreverendpod. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes. It's been great to talk today, Tom. Let's keep praying. Let's keep trusting in Christ. And for anyone who's out there who's far from God, we say, come to Jesus Christ. All are welcome. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Tom. Thank you very much, Jamie. God bless you. Thank you for listening to a Reverend. Please join us again next time.